right out of college, I raised a whole bunch of money and moved overseas and was a missionary for several years in Western Europe, uh, Central Europe, North Africa, Middle East, all that stuff. And it was kind of a blur. Uh, Part of it was just I just wanted to get out of Mississippi, right, Uh, and go travel the world. And and I'm kind of an all-or-nothing person. So, like, I couldn't just move across the border to, like, Alabama, which it is a border between Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, Or I couldn't just come to Memphis. I had to, like, go to, like, Switzerland and then places like that. And eventually I found myself, uh, when I was in Switzerland, there was a team of us that decided that God was calling us to go spend two and a half months in Kosovo. Now, this was 2001. Uh, the Bosnian War had just finished. Uh, the Balkan War had just finished just about a year or so before that. Uh, and all of the Balkan area, uh, former Yugoslavia, was just in chaos, um, literally in, in, in rumbles. So many bombings, so many things that happened there. And so a group of us, it was... Uh, it was me and three other Americans, uh, a Dane and a German. I mean, it sounds like a good bar joke, but like we all piled up in a, in a white van and we just headed down to, to Kosovo. And we had, we had a plan, right? We had supplies, but still, in some ways, we just didn't really know what we were getting into. And this is the, in the days of, of MapQuest, all right? Um, anybody remember this stuff? All right? So if, if, you are, if you are under 20, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But there was a time in life when you just couldn't look at your phone and it told you things. All right? Like you had to go do extra work. And for someone like me who came from like, like I, my grandmother, uh, had, which brother my grandmother and my mom and my sister here this morning? How about that? Yeah. So my, yeah. So my, my grandmother had uh, one of those phones, like you kind of take it, rotary phone, and one, two, you know, you had to wait, patience. You had to have patience. Um, and so I grew up in that um, from those clunky Nokia cell phones, right, um, to eventually MapQuest. We thought we had arrived with MapQuest. And if you don't know how this works, um, you type in the location where you want to go, and then you use something called a printer, and then you, you print all those directions out, and then you just hope to God you can follow these directions the way that you need to, all right? So that was our plan. We printed out pages and pages worth on MapQuest somehow to get from southwestern part of Switzerland to Kosovo, all right? And so we did that. We load up in the van, and we headed down. It took us three days. We were sleeping in the van and piled up on top of each other. And even though that we had an idea of where we were trying to get to, we still didn't really know the way. You see what I mean? Like MapQuest seemed to know it, but we didn't really still know the way. Like it gave us some lines to follow, but it's like post-war, like places have been bombed. I mean, like I remember we were, uh, at one point in time, it said, it was like, it says, follow these directions, up a snowy capped mountain. No joke, the whole mountain was just in snow, and we're going in circles around it. And it's supposed to tell us if you go up this side of the mountain, you get on the other side of the mountain. And we had heard rumors from locals in another village that there may be some Serbian guards with machine guns at the top of the mountain will make you turn around. And as Americans, we're like, ah, it'll be fine. Everybody loves Americans. We can get through there. And so we go up to the top. If, if you're not laughing, I was trying to be sarcastic there, okay? Uh, because the world doesn't love us. All right, so, um, so we get to the top of the mountain, and sure enough, there were Serbian guards with machine guns, and they made us turn around, all right? And so we had to turn around, and we had, and this is where MapQuest couldn't help us. 
because MapQuest fell when it got to Serbian guards with Uzis, all right? And so we turned around, and then we had to cut through this, like, unmarked territory in the middle of Bosnia, where at one point in time, I remember I was driving, and we were just circling around this mountain, going up to the mountain, going back down another mountain, and the roads, no joke, I remember this, the roads were um, about as wide as uh, this front section here. Not that wide when you're up on a mountain and there's no rails on the side and it's just a drop off. And I remember just driving up that mountain thinking, what am I doing? I have suckered people and given me money. I'm 22 years old. I have no idea what I'm talking about and I'm about to die. This is not worth it, right? And that's just what I was thinking like, oh my gosh. And then eventually we get to Kosovo and it all works out. Now, here's my point in saying all that. I think a lot of us have an idea with God about where we're trying to be going. Like, he's saying, this is what it means for you to come to me. You're going to come to me. Don't you want to be with me? And we say, yes, we want to be with you. And then we start asking the questions, but how do we really get there? Because if you're like me and you're walking through your faith and walking through life in your faith, you just get to points like, am I doing this right? Is this really working out? Because I feel like I'm taking all these detours and it just isn't making sense. Like, is there a path? Is there like something etched out for me to walk in so I can get to the place I'm trying to get to? And I think that's just a basic question for humanity that they've been asking for hundreds and thousands of years. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage that is, that is so complex and nuanced that it's going to give us these answers, but we really have to mine for it. So I need you to have eyes on Scripture. We'll have it on the screen. You need to have it in your Bibles. Um, and we're just going to try to walk through this as best as possible and see where we get to. And there's two things here I believe that's happening. One is I believe that when Jesus is talking, He's trying to give a destination, and then He's going to offer a path, all right? So there's a destination and a path. So let's first look at what, what Jesus is trying to, to call us to this destination. Notice in verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And up front, we know that there's something going on by him even saying that. Like, it's not like, man, uh, you know, just, just take it in stride. He's actually, when he's talking about do not let your hearts be troubled, he's talking to his disciples, and they are like emotionally on tilt because of whatever had just happened. So then the question is, what's been going on? Now, Jesus, we see at the beginning of chapter 13, he starts something that's called the upper room discourse, right? And this is a conversation that Jesus is having on Passover week with his disciples on a Thursday evening. And they're sitting in this upper room. He's already come into Jerusalem, and people are celebrating, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he takes his disciples in this upper room, and it's going to be a several-hour meal. It's called a Seder meal. And Seder meals were meals you had for Passover, and there were several courses. Think of like a really nice, long meal at, at Andrew Michael, right? You get the chef's tasting. Can I get an amen? All right, so you get the chef's tasting at Andrew Michael, and you get into it, and there's several drinks you're having with it. It's like that, but not at all, because Andrew Michael's not making the food, all right, and they're eating just a bunch of bread and some lamb. But they're in the midst of this long meal, and there's several things happening. Like, it starts off by Jesus washing their feet, which you do when you have a meal with friends. We all know that. You wash, hey, welcome to my house. Take off your socks. Let me, let me wash those puppies for you, all right? So he's, he's washing feet, um, and then he's like, hey, he's like having a meal. He's looking around. He goes, listen, one of y'all is a snitch, right? 
and I don't like snitches, so you need to, like, get out of here, all right? So, like, Judas is like, peace. He gets out. Everybody's like, what's going on here? He's like, call, I think it's, a, I think it's, I think betrayal in Greek means snitch, I think. So, anyway, like, so he, he gets out of there, and, and then Jesus says to them, I'm about to leave you. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're about to leave us. And so then Peter, in his abrupt style, says, like, I'm going to follow you. Matter of fact, look here. We'll have it on the screen, verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I mean, the disciples were thinking, where, what are you talking about? We're having a Seder meal. Tomorrow you're going to make your big announcement to everybody. You're going to be the Messiah. It's all going to work out. And of course, Jesus is talking about going to the cross. He's going to have to, to leave them. And for now, Peter, you, you can't follow. And so, all the disciples are now becoming emotionally distraught. They're, they're on tilt. They're questioning what is happening. And so, instead of Jesus clarifying it all, He really complicates matters. Look at chapter 14, verse 2. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's what he says to them. That's where he's going. And they're all thinking, okay. Like, what are, you, what are you trying to say to us? And for, for hundreds of years, Christians have been trying to take this passage and really unpack it. What exactly is he saying? And in many ways, it's been oversimplified, like a lot of this passage, um, and misconstrued. And I'll give you an example. Uh, so, in the 90s, I was, uh, the thing to do if you're a Christian is go to Christian music festivals. Anybody else enjoy this phenomenon? All right, two of you. All right. So, anybody that's under 25, you have no idea what's happening. Back in the 90s, uh, people your age would get together and go listen to Christian rock and roll, right? And they really enjoyed it. Like, I know it probably isn't as big of a thing now, but back in the 90s, that's really all we had, okay? And so, um, that's what I did growing up and all these different bands. But there was one band in particular uh, in, in named Audio Adrenaline, all right? Okay. Wow, they have some longevity. All right, so <laughs> that's shocking. Wouldn't have thought that back in the mid-90s. Um, so, audio, audio Adrenaline, and they had this song called Big House. Oh, this is going to be fun. All right, so I'm going to do the first part, and then if you know it, you can do the second part. Already. All right, so yeah, here, here we go. It's a, it's a big, big house. It's a big, big table. It's a big, big yard. It's a big, big house. Okay, good job. Now listen, that's horrible theology. That is really, really bad, okay? And let me just kind of unpack, unpack why, because it sounds like, like, it sounds like an, uh, an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? Like, I finally get out of this mess, and I'm about to get rich, y'all, and I'm about to get money, and I'm about to go live in this person's home that has room for me, and it's going to be awesome, and I'll never have to work again. Like, that was kind of what I got out of that song as a teenager. Like, this is going to be great. Of course I want to go to this big, big house, because my house is not that big, and I want to do nothing the rest of my life and play in this yard. That sounds great. That's really bad. 
It's really bad theology. It's really bad understanding. It's really bad that that's been inferred upon people. I just need to break this down for us because that's what Jesus is not talking about. Jews didn't have an understanding of trying to get out of this world. Heaven for them was God's presence. Wherever God was, that's where heaven was. And Jesus understands this very clearly. And there's a few words here that we have to unpack to to see it more. I'm just going to put it up on the screen for you. So it says that my father's house, Patir Okia, Patir Okia. House, Okia, is simply just this word for a structure, literally a structure. It's a place that um, a patriarchal figure would have. And it wasn't just necessarily just a place with a covering. It could be a whole courtyard. But it was just kind of this place where all the family could come and be and their friends and extended and their relatives and loved ones and whatnot. It was just kind of a big structure, Okia. And within ancient Jewish tradition, rabbis would call, would say house of God or God's house or the Father's house to refer to temple. Now, temple. Temple was the center of everything within Jewish existence because temple is where God was. If you wondered where God was, you'd go to temple. If you wanted to interact with God, if you wanted the divine to meet the mundane, the sacred to interact with the, with the secular, if you wanted that, if you wanted to bring your perfidy to His beauty, you would come to temple. You would make sacrifices. The house of God, the Father's house, was called temple. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to my Father's house, I'm going to temple, which can kind of sound weird, so we have to kind of unpack it just a little bit more. So he says, I'm going to my Father's house to make for you where he has many rooms. He has many rooms in my Father's house. The word for room is monet, monet. And this would literally mean like several rooms. It really just means dwelling. It's kind of like where you sleep. Like here's this oikia, and you're going to sleep in this monet. So here's this structure that you're going to come into, and you're going to sleep over here in this dwelling place. But then, what's interesting, next he goes, and I go away to make a place for you. Now, this is where it gets really rich for us, because he's not just saying, here's a structure to come into, and then here's a room down the hallway that you can go sleep in if you need. Jesus is saying, I'm going to my father's house where you're going to have a room, and I'm going to make that room, I'm going to make this structure into a home. I don't know if you've ever moved before or had your own place, but whenever you move, uh, this has been at least our experience, and I know for others, when you move to a new house, the first place you end up working on is your bedroom. You want to make sure that you can go sleep in your bedroom. Maybe you can kind of be able to use the bathroom, but everything else you can unpack along the way. You don't usually start with all the stuff in the front. It's going to be like, how can I exist here? Because it's going to take a while for me to unpack everything else. We just moved into a new house back in, back in August, and that was a decision we had to make. Like, we have a lot of stuff, right? The Abbey's packed big over time. And so we had a lot of stuff to unpack. And we realized we got to start in the bedroom um, because that's where all the magic happens. We had to start in the bedroom and just make sure that um, everything just was fine and, 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 and we could feel comfortable and at home there. Jesus is saying, I'm going to where my Father is so that you can now have a home. Now, here's the thing that every person in history has been begging for. 
whether they realize it or not, they just want to go home. Like, you just want to go home. Even when you go on vacation, after a while, what do you want to do? You want to go home. When you're at work, after a long day, you want to what? You want to go home. Even when you've had a great time with friends, there's something so sacred about that space that is your own. Even if you have roommates, there's a part of the house that's yours. There's a corner that this is your home. Even if the rest of it is a house, it's your home. And for thousands of years, humans have been begging and looking for home, crying out for home, wanting to be able to get home, questioning how they get there. And Jesus is saying, the place you're longing to go to is the place I'm going. And here's the thing, it's now going to be your place. See, for them, temple was always a structure to go to. And only the Levites, and a select few of Levites, had rooms, monets, in the Okia, the house of God. Now, the Levites were a special group of people within Israel. Out of all the tribes, they're the ones who didn't have land because their land was the temple. They weren't given a piece of property to, like, have residential place in. Their place of residence was the temple. Their place is where God was. And there were these people that others looked at and go, oh my God, they're so connected to God. And Jesus is saying to, to his disciples, I'm going to go, the, the visual is outstanding. He goes, I'm basically going to go to this temple and all those rooms that are for Levites where they get to call home in the presence of God, I'm going to go make for you a room and you're going to be able to call it home. And this would have been so big, so just out of left field for a common person like these disciples, like of course they're having a hard time with it. What are you trying to say to us? Like that doesn't make sense that our home is now going to be in the presence of God, and that's where you're going, and then you're going to like bring it to us and take us with you. Matter of fact, when he says, and I'm going to take you there, it really means I'm going to bring you alongside of me in it. And what we know, what we know scripturally, Jesus has, he keeps talking in this kind of complex way that theologians call um, actualized eschatology, meaning actualized now, eschatology in the future, future in the now. And he's always talking in these ways, like it's just about to happen, but you're going to get to experience here and now with me. He's talking about how he's going to go die and resurrect, and he's going to come back and bring the Spirit with him and lead the Holy Spirit with his people so that all flesh can have the presence of God. That's what he's saying. But still, that's just our words and ends up being kind of like theology for us. Here's the thing. What do you long for with God? You long to belong. Why else, why else are you here this morning? You long to belong somewhere. Surely you're not here to check off a box religiously. There are other places to go do that with. I figure by now we would have weeded that out in here. Like, I'm sure you're here. I'm hoping you're here because you just want to belong somewhere. And you're trying to give this stuff a chance and a shot going, I can't find a place to belong out here, and I'm hoping that in here it's going to be different. And some of you even have experiences where rooms like this, churches, have been the last place where you could belong because you get sized up when you come to the door. Well, are you holy enough? Are you right enough? Are you theologically correct enough? Are you whatever else? And you're like, well, I'll give it a shot, and you come in, and you find out, nope, I can't belong. Like everything in us is longing for something we, get, we, keep getting, we keep getting rejected over. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to bring you into something you'll never, ever, ever be rejected on. I'm going to give you a home. 
and it's going to be my Father's house. Because heaven is where God is. And where God is, that's where our home is. And if Jesus is God, listen, if Jesus is God, then that means Jesus is offering us home. If God is where heaven is, and God in heaven is where our home is to be, and Jesus is God, then that means Jesus is trying to offer us a place called home. He's getting our hopes up. It's beautiful that he's saying, my father has a house that you can call home, and I'm going to make room for you, that you can be forever present with your creator. You can forever just be home. I had a young man that uh, my wife and I and others in our community at Cooper Young have been helping for a while. His name's Adam, and um, he's just had a really hard time in life, has had very few breaks. And so we all just try to help out and pitch in however we can. And on Monday, we were just trying to get Charlotte ready for, for bed and going about our, our business. And he's at my front doorstep, you know, 29 degrees outside, and he's on his knees just bawling. And so I bring him inside, and then he's, he's on the floor just wailing. And all, he, all he's saying, all he can get out, just crying, can't even get his words out, snot flying everywhere, is I just want to go home. Like his home literally was 20 minutes north of where I lived, but he didn't have enough money or a ride or anywhere to get there. And he just wanted to go home. I mean, think about how just crazy it is, the world we live in, where someone can't just get 20 minutes to get to go home. Like he, he had to like squat in a house on the other side of the tracks the night before that was abandoned. Like in 35 25 degree weather. And he finally decides, like, he makes his rounds, and he finally decides if he maybe just comes to Pastor Robin's house, maybe Pastor Robin can give him a ride. Gave him a ride, we get him home. But my point in all that is to say, we're longing for something at the most basic level just to get home, to be safe, for things to be okay, to be in the arms of someone that's going to care for us and not abandon us. 29-year-old man saying he just wants to go home. Maybe you are a 29-year-old, and you have a physical home, but you find yourself still longing for home, because whatever you experience in this world ends up being too much so often. So Jesus is calling us to something. He calls us to home. Where my Father's house. It's not some big house up in the sky. It's going to be like a speakeasy. The only way you get there is if you die. It's not that. It's here and now. The question is, are you willing to receive it? So now, like, what's the path? And that's where Jesus goes next. And this is where things even get more complex. Verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So you know the way to home. Same word he's using, to the place. You know the way to home. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, or how can we, or so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right. So you say to Jesus, okay, I want to go home. And, and, but Jesus, Jesus like, and this is where I'm going to go. And they're like, but we don't really know where that is because this all sounds weird. Like, you have to remember, they would just be in shock right now by Jesus saying, We're gonna, I'm going to go to my Father's house. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to make space for you. 
And Jesus is always talking weird, isn't he? Like we read and we're like, man, that's just weird. Like, no wonder you didn't really have a lot of friends. Like, you had a lot of people who liked you, but that's just weird talk. Like, if somebody was talking this way to you regularly, you'd be like, this isn't going to work out, okay? So, Jesus is just kind of always talking weird. He's got this, and especially in this upper room discourse, he goes into some kind of weird religious code at times. But he's like, I'm going to go there, and you know the way to home. You know the way. It's like Moana talking to her dead grandmother, right? Like, you know the way. It's going to happen. You're like, I don't know. And so Thomas just is so honest. He goes, listen, bro, this is weird. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I just, I don't, I don't get it. What are you talking about? And Jesus answers with more complexity. He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, again, this is where I think the church has gotten into a lot of trouble because I think the church many times takes complex things and instead of making complex things simple, they make them simplistic. And I don't think people are interested in simplistic answers. We are interested if there's a simple path, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You, you get the difference there. I think the church so many times has taken these big thoughts and tried to make them just simplistic. And then we offer the world, and they're like, no. So let me give an example. Here with this passage, here's how… Here's how Christians many times have packaged up this passage, something along the lines of this. Jesus came to earth to get you to God. Jesus says He's the way. He says He's the only way. You'll go to hell if you don't believe that He's the way. And then one day, you're going to be able to die and go be with God. Now, I wouldn't be a preacher if I didn't think somehow that was, there was some truth in what I just said, all right? Hold on. Don't run out just yet. But I think that's just simplistic. And I think the way we package that ends up being very undesirable. And I don't mean like we need to package up and pretty up Jesus so that people want him. No, I think Jesus is desirable enough. We just got to get out of the way. I don't think, it, I don't think that's what life boils down to. He shows up to get you to God. He says He's the only way. Everybody else is going to hell, and just go to God one day. What a, what a boring, like, out-of-color life that is, that we keep trying to throw the world, and they're like, I don't want that. Like, that doesn't resonate deep inside of me. Now, I just told you something, and within every human, there's a place that they want to go that's called what? Home. So, every human wants home. But then we offer them things that don't sound like home. It doesn't really sound like a path to get to home. And I think there's more to what Jesus is trying to say here. Here's what I think He's trying to say. The way, first off, for, for an ancient Jewish person, when you said the way, you would go back to the Old Testament, and you would think about in Isaiah how that Isaiah would say, prepare the way of the Lord. The, the highway of Zion is what it was called. And it, the way was always attached to Moses and Israel going through the Sinai wilderness. The way in the Old Testament was always the path through the wilderness. That's what the way was. So, to kind of break it down more, in the Old Testament, there's a cloud by day and a fire by night that leads God's people into the promised land. That is what's considered the way. 
is going to guide you through the wilderness to get to home, promised land. And Jesus is showing up, and He's saying, I am the way. I'm going to be the guiding light at night and the pillar by day that walks you through the atrocities of life so that you can get home. I am the way. And when you walk in this way, which I am the way, you're going to find more truth in life. Do you see the difference there? Because he's not just saying, I'm the way, believe in me, get to heaven, we're good. Not at all. That is an oversimplification, and it waters down Jesus' message. See, Jesus isn't as interested of who's in and who's out. He's just interested in who's going to walk this path. By him saying he's the way, he's not trying to shoot down every religion in the world. He's trying to say, like, there never was a way to get to the promised land until I showed up. Like, it's the difference between someone being pro-minded or anti-minded, right? Like, somebody, if I were to say to you, you've heard this before, what's the difference between being pro-life or anti-abortion? At first, you would say nothing, but you see someone who's anti-abortion just pickets in front of Planned Parenthood calling people sinners and killers as they go inside and trying to shame them into change. Not helpful. Not Christ-like. Whereas someone who is pro-life stands at the door and says, you know what? If you need to go inside, I'll go inside with you. And if you just want to take a walk, I'll take a walk with you. And if you want to go to my house and talk more about this, we'll go to my house and talk about that with you. You see the difference there? One is for something, one's against something, one's for humanity, even the person walking up to don the doors of that place to be with them, but the other's against humanity. Jesus isn't against everything else, He's just really for Him, because He knows He's the way, and He's offering something really difficult and really important for His followers to pick up on. If you want to go home, you're going to have to walk in me and with me. And then he goes on, we find here, let's read back at this at verses 5 through 7. Thomas says to him, again, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and I have it in bold. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I love this. I'm going to put up on the screen for you. Again, this is where trying to understand the Greek can be really helpful for us. The word that that Thomas is using for no in that first part that I have in bold before is oida. And it means to know by seeing. It means to logically lay things out in front of you, to analyze it. You size it up. It's gaining data in the moment. You know by just seeing it there. It's the eye test. That's how I know. I know because I see. I know how to get out because I see that path and that aisle to go up there. That's how I know. But here's the thing, Thomas is like, how can we know we've never seen this path? And here's what Jesus does. He uses the word know, but it's going to be a different word. He doesn't use oida. Jesus uses the word gnosko. He goes, you're going to know because you've known me. Now, this is important because one means to know by seeing. The other means to know by feeling. Thomas, you're not going to know how to get to home by seeing the path. You're going to get to know the path to home by, like, feeling it out, which can really sound weird and unhelpful. 
It's the difference between trying to walk in a room with lights on or walk in a room with lights off. And you know, at first when you're in a room with lights off, you don't know it. You're bumping into things and bruising things and breaking things and hurting yourself. But over time, you start getting a feel for it. It's like you just kind of know where something, oh, there's that thing over there. Okay, stay. Okay, there's that thing right there. Okay. Like whenever I shut down the, our house at night and turn the lights out, I have to always know. I have to always count the steps. We have steps that go up to our, our top room. And I'll count them to myself because it's pitch black. And you ever had those moments where you try to take another step and there's not a step, right? And you're like fall down or you trip over. And that's happened before. But because I know it in my mind's eye, I feel my way through it. And then I get to the place called home, upstairs. Jesus is using something similar here. You're not going to know because you see it all. You're going to know because you feel it all. And then he goes on to try to explain to them, and the way you're going to feel it all is because you're walking in and with me. Now, this is important. Jesus is saying, you're going to know because you've been with me. You're going to know because you've walked with me. Meaning, you're going to belong before you believe. This is really important because so many times belief has been about seeing and we know it and now we belong. But Jesus is all about you're going to belong, you're going to walk with me, and then you're going to believe it more. And I think that's super important that we realize that because that means you could just, there's a freedom with Jesus where you don't have to get it all down pat. You can walk with Jesus and not even necessarily believe in Jesus. You can walk with Jesus and not even necessarily believe all the things that he has to say. He just invites you to walk with him. I mean, other religious leaders don't do that. Like Jesus saying, you don't get me fully, that's okay, just walk with me. Over time, you're going to feel this thing out. Like right now, you don't see it with your eye, I get it. But over time, you're going to see it more in your heart. You're going to feel it out with me. It'll make more sense. I love the grace in that. I love the space in that. Friends, what if we were that kind of church? I mean, that's why our vision statement to Christ City is a place to belong and a place to know God. That's purposeful. We don't say a place to get your theology right, a place to line up all your ducks in a row for it to all to make sense. That our goal, our desire is when you walk through the door, you immediately find that this is a place you can belong before you believe. And you may never believe and you would still belong. You may never fully get it. It may never fully make sense. You may always wrestle with it, and that's okay because you still belong. Because Jesus says, you don't have to know it with your eye and what you see. Just walk it out with me, child. We'll see what happens over time. How inviting is that? But here's the complex part of it. He goes, the way you're going to walk it with me, this path I'm walking on, is through the wilderness. And Jesus is pointing to the cross. He's saying, I am the way and the way is this, the way to the cross. Now, what is the cross? The cross represents not just two pieces of wood put together and, and, and forming a cross and you hung people on it. The cross represents everything that's vile and broken, everything that's upside down and wretched about humanity. The cross was the truly worst torture invention in the sense to where, I mean, there's been worse tortures. But here's this invention that stood the test of time, and it says, if you want to know how bad it can get for humans and how they treat other humans in this world, just look at the cross. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to that to show you love, because I'm going to go to the cross and turn the values of the world upside down. By going to the cross and being forgiving of the world, I'm turning it upside down. 
Because usually if you're that tortured by people in life, you can't forgive. That's why forgiveness, like truly forgiveness is the most divine thing you'll ever do in this world. And I don't mean forgiveness when the other person deserves it. Because there'll be people that'll harm you and hurt you that don't deserve your forgiveness. And Jesus still calls you. Matter of fact, he says, if you don't forgive your brother, how can you say you know God? You don't. Forgiveness is to be divine. And Jesus goes to the cross and does something divine. And of course, of course, it is saying that there's now a connection between us and God. Yes, yes, there's justification by faith alone on the cross. Yes, but there's also something about Jesus. He's calling him to not just a forensic, getting in your head kind of justification. He's trying to call his followers to a cross-shaped life. Here's how you know you're going to be able to get home. Here's how you know you're getting home, that you're taking up a cross and having a cross-shaped life, that you're entering into the vileness of the world, and you're bringing the divine into it, that you don't settle for there to be boundaries for people to have to jump the fence to be apart, but you say, I love you, and I forgive you, and I'm with you. And when you do that, it changes you. Richard Rohr says it this way. We Christians glibly, glibly, we Christians say glibly that we are saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but seem to understand this as some kind of heavenly transaction on his part instead of an earthly transformation on his and our part. We need to deeply trust and allow both our own dyings and our own certain resurrections, just as Jesus did. This is the full pattern of transformation. If we trust both, we are indestructible. In Romans 4.25, Paul says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Yes. But Paul also says in Philippians 2.12, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The way that you know you are walking with Jesus is you are walking out, you're working out your salvation. And the way you work out your salvation is you walk in the path of Jesus. And what was the path of Jesus? To go to the cross. That means if you're trying to avoid pain in life, you're not walking with Jesus. And if you're skirting by forgiveness, you're not in the path of Jesus. And if you're always trying to serve yourself first instead of actually be kind and love others, you're not following the path of Jesus. And friends, here's the other part to that. That means you're not on the way home. If you're not following in the path of Jesus, then you're not on the way home. And that's a very, very hard word to hear. But here's the thing. I would much rather have that word than just have an easy believism in Jesus go throughout life, bored out of my mind, thinking I'm better than anybody else because one day I'm going to peace out of here and get to my big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Football. And how many of you know somebody that actually wants that in life? Uh-uh. Not here, not in this area, not in Midtown, not where we are. People came here to get away from it. 
They're here because they're saying, I want, I want something more. Okay, Christian, you say you follow Jesus, you walk in his path, show me. Show me. Jesus goes on, look at this, verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. The works of Jesus consisted of two things, signs and ethics. Signs and ethics. The signs were miracles. Those miracles Jesus did over and over again were signs that he was the Son of God. But the ethics of Jesus showed that he was a human being and willing to be with other humans to lead them to God. The signs were so that people could believe. The ethics were the works that said, you can come with me. I'm going to treat you like a human. I'm not going to let you stay in your perfidy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to respect you because you're made in the imago Dei, the image of God. That's different. You don't need to go do signs, but you do need to go be ethical. That's the path. That's a cross-shaped life. Making decisions not based off what's always best for you, but what's best for those around you. If you want to go home, that's how you do it. Are you saying that's a work salvation? No and yes. Knowing that, of course, of course, Romans 4.25 is there, that you've been saved from your sins and justified, of course, but how do you know that's real? You maybe confessed something five years ago, and there's nothing real about it. You just said stuff. Like, it's like me saying, okay, now I'm just going to be this kind of person. You're not really that person, you know? Like, now I have hair, and I'm really good looking and tall. That's not the truth, folks. I'm not there. I don't just kind of get to think my way into that. Are you living it out? Rod Bell, I went with this. He had a great line. He goes, if the gospel wasn't good news for everybody, then it isn't good news for anybody. And this is because the most powerful things happen when the church surrenders its desire to convert people and convince them to join. It is when the church gives itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return, that the way of Jesus is most vividly put on display. To do this, the church must stop thinking about everybody primarily in categories of in or out, saved or not, believer or non-believer. Now, there's an amen there. There's also an uncomfortability there. Because you were told that you need to go get people saved and get them to the big house right? Because we're going to play like lots of football and eat all you want. Fresh prints, it up. But we're saying is, nah, you don't need to spend your time trying to get anybody saved. Matter of fact, you're getting them more unsaved by trying to get them all saved. Like you're making it harder for everybody else. What you need to be doing is living a cross-shaped life. You start living in a way that, gets try, that quits trying to shame people into heaven, and instead you start just showing them a path to home. And they go, I think I want that path too. I think I want to join in on that. I think I want to fight for the rights of those who are marginalized. I think I want to stand in the gap for those that have nowhere to stand. See, the more I love someone like Adam, that young man in my life, the more I just literally take him home, the more I literally take him home to his house, the more I'm giving him a path to home. 
You get it? Like the more I interact with this world, the way that I'm asked to be ethically following in the path of Jesus, the better chance I give people to have a room that they can call a home in the presence of God. Can I get an amen? That's what we're called to do. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Do you see that in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we go to the table, we would see that there is a place to belong and now a place to know you through your Son. Jesus, you said, if we see you, we've seen the Father. If we come to you, that's how we get home. And I don't know where we've been this morning or this week. I don't know what's been happening in our lives I don't know what we've been having to walk through, but I know this, we're all looking for a place called home. And I really believe this table offers that. So as we come before you now, would you allow us to lay aside the things that encumber us and get in the way and truly come to you and rest, fall into your arms, Jesus, because that's where we find home. Amen.